Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. When we think about the attributes of God, we know that He is holy, He is righteous, He is all-powerful, He is love, and He is kind. Today, John begins in the book of 2 Samuel with this message, being thankful for God's kindness to us. Open your Bible, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And I want us to think this morning and to remind ourselves of the kindness that God has shown us in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, just to kind of review where we are here, this is our third Sunday morning in 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're thinking about King David. He has replaced Saul as the king of Israel. Saul has died. Saul's son, Jonathan, has died. David is now the king. And David had a heart full of kindness because he had a heart full of God. And so on one occasion, he said to one of his servants or one of his assistants there in the palace, is there anyone of the house of Saul that I could show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan and David were like best friends. They had a blood covenant. And he's wanting to show this kindness to somebody uh, in Saul's family for Jonathan's sake. So let's pick up chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, verse number 1. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? See, it wasn't so much David's kindness. It was the kindness of God. God was with David. It had changed David's heart. And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So he said, Yes, king, there is. There's somebody from Saul's house that you could show kindness to. It's one of Jonathan's son." Sons, and this young man is lame in his feet. Now, as we get back into this story, I want to make a couple of statements because for the past two weeks, we've been focusing on David's kindness, how kind he was to Mephibosheth. Now, notice this David is our role model in this story. We should have the same kindness that David had. In our dealings with others, how we treat people, how we interact with people, we, David is our role model here. We should have the same kindness he had. In fact, we should have more kindness than David had because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And David didn't have that. David had God with him in his life, but we have God in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So we should, we should have that kindness that David had. But in this story, notice this, we are represented by Mephibosheth. It is this son of Jonathan who represents us. And I want us to develop that today and think about the similarities. We're shifting our focus now from David to Mephibosheth. And I want to point out some similarities that we have with him. First, we, like Mephibosheth, were crippled by a fall. We were crippled by a fall. Now, go back a few pages in 2 Samuel to chapter number 4 and look at verse 4. We saw this verse a couple of weeks ago, but I want us to remind ourselves and see afresh how Mephibosheth became crippled. He wasn't born that way. Something happened in his life. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. 
He was five years old when the news came about Saul and Jonathan from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. And so here's a nurse, and her job is to take care of little five-year-old Mephibosheth while his father Jonathan and his father Saul are off at war. Well, on the same day, Saul and Jonathan are killed, and word gets to this nurse, this boy's father and grandfather, who happens to be the king, they have died. And so she panics. She picks up little Mephibosheth. And she's taking him somewhere. We don't even know where she's taking him, but in a panic, she's going somewhere and she accidentally trips and she drops him and he became crippled at that point in his life. So you say, now, John, what does that have to do with us? Well, we, like Mephibosheth, were crippled by a fall. His fall was physical, but our fall was spiritual. We have taken, as human beings, part of the human race, all of us have taken a spiritual fall. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look at this verse in Romans chapter 5. Paul said, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who was that man? Adam. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world so that when we were born, there are great, 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 many times great grandparents. And so they passed on to their kids and to their kids and to their kids and eventually to us this sin nature. We're born with a disease and it is a disease of sin. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And so we have fallen spiritually. We are sinners by nature. We inherited this from Adam and Eve, but we're also sinners by choice. We have chosen, and sometimes we do, every time we sin. You know, the devil can't make you sin. Every time you sin, you choose to sin. Every time I sin, I choose to sin. Heard a story about a little boy who got in a fight with his sister. He was really mean to her. He called her a bad name. He pulled her hair. He spit in her face. And the girl went crying, told her mother about that. The mother came in, gave the boy a little, little whipping right there and got on to him. And she said, Billy, the devil has gotten into you. The devil made you call your sister a bad name. The devil made you pull her hair and the devil made you spit in her face. Billy looked at his mother and said, now, mom, the devil made me call her a bad name and the devil made me pull her hair. But spitting in her face was my idea. I thought of that all by myself. Well, he was honest. We're sinners by nature, and we're sinners by choice. Just like Mephibosheth, crippled by a fall. Not only that, we, like Mephibosheth, were in a dry and barren land. Before we were saved, what were our lives like? They were dry, and they were barren. Now, go back to chapter 9 in 2 Samuel and look in verse 4. So the king said to him, where is he? Where is this Mephibosheth? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil, in Lodabar. Now, we did a whole sermon last week on Lodabar. Lo means no. The Hebrew word lo means no. Debar means pasture. Mephibosheth was living in a dry, barren place. No vegetation, no water, no food, no hope for anything good happening. And just like Mephibosheth, before we got saved, we were living in a dry and in a barren place place. We hadn't, think about, think about your life before you got saved. And if you're here today and you say, well, I've, I've never made my decision for Christ. I, I think you might be describing where I am right now. Well, if you're unsaved, I can describe your life right now. There's no peace 
and there's no relationship with God. That's the heart of an unsaved life. That an unsaved person has no real peace and they have no relationship with God. Look at this verse, Isaiah 48, 22. There's no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. You say, no, wait a second. I may not be saved, but I'm not wicked. I ain't ever killed anybody or hurt anybody or, you know, done anything too bad. Well, you may not be wicked from your perspective, or I may look at your life and say, no, you're not, you're not wicked. But from God's perspective, when God looks at us with our sins, whether they're big sins or little sins, as we would call them, if those sins are unforgiven from the perspective of a holy God, we are wicked. And the Bible says there's no peace for the wicked, no peace for the unsaved. And not only that, an unsaved person has no relationship with God. Notice this verse in the New Testament in Ephesians and in chapter 2, verse 12. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. That, that is an unsaved life. That person is living apart from Christ, apart from all the peace and joy and, and fulfillment and contentment and all those things he gives us. And it says, you were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. Now watch this next sentence. You lived in this world without God and without hope. What's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? The difference is we have been forgiven of our sins. We have Christ living in our hearts. And now we have a desire to live a different kind of life. And yet the unsaved person doesn't have that. Their sins are unforgiven. They have no relationship with God. And they have no peace in their life. I think about that great quote from church history by Augustine. God's great thinker one of the greatest theologians in church history. And Augustine, who before he got saved, lived a vile and a wicked life. He was with prostitutes. He lived a life of immorality, miraculously saved. His life was changed. And Augustine had many great quotes, but this is one of my favorites. And it was a prayer. He said, God, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. You see, an unsaved person has a restless heart, and they're trying to settle that restless heart down. They're trying to give peace to that restless heart, and they just go from thing to thing to thing to person to event to experience, and they're trying to just numb that restless heart. But that heart that is restless can only find peace and rest in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But the unsaved person doesn't have that yet. But we didn't have it before we were saved. We, like Mephibosheth, were in a dry and a barren land. And not only that, we, like Mephibosheth, had no hope for a better life. Here Mephibosheth was in Lodabar. He was crippled. Back in that day, it's hard enough in this day, but in that day, if a person was crippled, it was impossible for them to find work. They couldn't be employed. That means they had no income. You say, well, his family would take care of him. His father died. His grandfather had died. He had no one to take care of him. He had nothing in his life to look forward to. And that is what it's like when a person is unsaved. They don't really have anything to look forward to. The only thing an unsaved person knows that is in their future, they know that in their future is death. And yet they're not looking forward to death because they don't know what's going to happen to them when they die. And so what I'm describing here is an unsaved person crippled by a fall in a dry and barren land, no hope for a better life. But as we continue in this passage, it takes a better turn. We see that we, like Mephibosheth, here in our Lodabar, in our fallen state, nothing to look forward to in our life, when we had no peace, 
No real relationship with God. We were summoned by a king, and we were carried by grace into the king's palace. Look in verse number 5. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir from Lodabar. And so David, now the king, he sends somebody, a representative, an ambassador of his, somebody from the palace, and he says to that person, go to Lodabar and find Mephibosheth and bring him to me. And I say, you know what? That's exactly what happened when we got saved. Jesus found us in our lostness, and he brought us to himself. <laughs> we, like Mephibosheth, were summoned by a king, and we were carried by grace into the palace of God. Notice this verse in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 11. Here's the great invitation of the Bible. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's an invitation to leave Lodabar, that dry place, and come to God so that we can be saved and find forgiveness and find peace and find hope. And so we think about, how could we not think about our unsaved friends? We think about family members we have who don't know Christ. Good people, not I'm not saying they're bad at all. I'm just saying they're unsaved. And yet God has given us the responsibility to go and to find them and to bring them to Christ so that they could receive forgiveness and so that they too could be saved. And then we, like Mephibosheth, are the recipients of many gifts. I mean, think about what God has given us. Look at what he gave Mephibosheth in verse 7, what David gave to him. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. First thing David showed him was just he was kind to him and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather. So now Mephibosheth is a landowner and you shall eat bread at my table continually. In other words, now Mephibosheth never has to worry about it where his next meal is coming from. The king has said, it comes here. You're going to be at my table. You're going to be in my palace forever. And I'm saying to you today that we, like Mephibosheth, as the children of God, are the recipients of many gifts. Every good thing in our life has come to us from the loving hands of a good God. And we thank God for his gifts to us. Notice this verse in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, when it says every spiritual blessing, you know, we think of like spiritual blessings, peace and assurance and contentment and, you know, joy. And then we think of other blessings like material blessings, like a house or a car or clothes or food or a family or a job or money in the bank. When Paul said that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, he wasn't making the distinction that we make between the spiritual and the secular. Paul was saying, look, every blessing you have is a spiritual blessing. Everything you have is a spiritual gift from God. But I think so many times in life, God has given us so much, and we just, and it's not that we don't mean to be thankful, but I just think sometimes we're so preoccupied and so busy, and our minds are on other things. You just wonder, like today, how many of us here, or how many watching at home, here we are at 11.45 on Sunday morning, 11.46 now on Sunday morning, how many of us today have said, God, thank you for my eyes that I can see. That's just something we take for granted. Close your eyes just for a second. Can I close your eyes? Don't go to sleep, but do close your eyes just for a second. Just keep, keep them closed just for a minute. Now, imagine 
that that was your life all the time. That all the time, what you're seeing now, which is the back of your eyelids, is what you saw all the time. Now open your eyes. Now think about this. If you were blind, if somebody, if a doctor said to you, there's a surgery I can do to restore your vision, what would you think? You would think, man, if I can have my vision, if God would give me my vision, then, then I would never ask for anything else. I would just, if I could just have my vision back, then I would be so happy. And yet most of us, probably 99 or maybe higher percentage than that in this room today, we have our vision and we can see. And I just wonder today, like, how many of us have said, God, thank you for my vision? Or for our hearing, this beautiful music that we, that we were able to worship to early and with earlier this morning. How many of us today have said, God, thank you for my ears that I can hear? Most of us walked in this worship center today. Mephibosheth couldn't have done that. He was I wonder how many of us when we woke up this morning said, God, before this day begins, I want to just thank you that I have legs that I can walk. Most of us had breakfast today. Certainly we'll have lunch after the service. How many of us said, God, I thank you that I have a digestive system that I can eat, that I can digest food. Well, friend, if you couldn't see or hear or walk or eat, you would think if I could just do those basic things, I would be so happy. And yet you can't. Most of us here, we can do those things. And yet, how thankful are we for that? You see, when, when Paul said, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Well, he has, and we should be thankful. And then our families and our health and all these things, we, like Mephibosheth, are the recipients of many gifts. Now, I was looking over this sermon yesterday afternoon. It was already prepared, but I, I just kind of looked it over and kind of thinking about it, and I thought, now, you know, I mean, I want you to look back at our little outline if you have your bulletin. Just let me, let's listen to this. We think about Mephibosheth. We, like Mephibosheth, were crippled by a fall. We were in a dry and barren place without Christ. We had no hope for anything better in our life. We really didn't. But then, as an act of sheer mercy, we were summoned by King Jesus, and we were carried by his grace into his presence and since that time, we have been the, the recipients of many gifts. Now, here's what I was thinking last night. All that being true, how should that change my life or affect my life on a daily basis? I mean, all this is so true. I, I mean, I see myself in Mephibosheth. How, how should that change my life? Let me just mention a couple of things here before we stop. First of all, we should have a wonder in our worship, look in verse 8. Uh, it says, Then he, that is Mephibosheth, bowed himself and said to David, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Remember Mephibosheth saying, what he was really saying to David was, King, who am I? I'm crippled. I lived in Lodabar. I can't come into your palace and offer you any real service. I can't work out in the fields. I can't run errands for you. I can't fight in a war. I can't really do anything. Who am I that I would be the, the recipient of so much kindness and so much grace and so many gifts? Who am I? And did you know in our lives as we think about what God has done for us, we should have that that, that idea, that, that feeling of wonder, God, who am I? I have that. I, I look at my own life and I just think, who am I that God would forgive all of my sins? Who am I that God would fill my heart with such peace and such joy? Who am I? I mean, I just honestly have to tell you how I feel. I feel like I have a dream job. 
I just love my job. I mean, I just, I just have a dream job. I have, I'm working in the greatest church I could imagine working for. But I mean, I just look at my, I think, God, I don't even deserve to, a, a thing. I don't deserve any of this. And yet I have it and God has given it to me. Certainly doesn't mean my life is perfect. It's not. You know it's not. And, and it's, I mean, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And yet I look at my life and I just say, God, you've just been so good to me and you've given me so much. And I'm saying in your life, in all of our lives, as we compare ourselves to Mephibosheth, we, we like him should say, who am I, God, that you have done something like that for me? So that's the first thing. We should, we should have that appreciation to God. And then we should have an enjoyment of the king's presence in our life. I, I said earlier, David did not have God living in him. He had God with him. We have God in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And every day, uh, you know, the, West, the old Westminster Catechism, the chief, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The greatest way to spend your life is to enjoy the presence of, the unending presence of Jesus Christ from the time you wake up until the time you go to bed. That's the greatest way to spend your life. Our greatest need is not the presence of God. We already have it. Our greatest need is an awareness of the presence of God so that we could enjoy the presence of God. If Jesus Christ were in this room today physically, and after the service, Jesus came up to you and said, listen, I'm going with you to lunch today, and uh, I know you prefer Mexican food. I would like some fish. Jesus would say that too. But I'm going go to go have lunch. I'm going to go home with you. We're going to spend the afternoon, the evening. I'm going to stay at your house tonight. In the morning, we're going to have breakfast. And I'm going to be with you all week long. Of all the people I could be with, I'm going to be in your house, in your car. I'm going to school with you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to be with you all, day, all week long. And then next Sunday, I'm going to go home with somebody else and be with them. But this week, it's me and you all week. I mean, if any of us had that, what kind of week do you think we would have? Well, I'll tell you, a different week because our focus would be so on Jesus and enjoying his presence and not worrying about anything. And I'll tell you something else. If we had Jesus Christ with us all week in the flesh, sin would lose its appeal altogether. Because if I've got Jesus with me in the flesh, last thing I want to do is sin and hurt him and embarrass me. No, I would just say, I've got Jesus with me. I would just tell my friends and family, don't call me this week. Don't, it's, I've got Jesus all week. And Jesus probably say, no, John, they can call. They can come over. I can be with more than just you. But I'm saying, if we had that, well, look, notice what it says in verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. Here's Mephibosheth. He's thinking, man, I'm crippled. I can't do anything. I've been brought from low to bar. I thought my life had no hope. I didn't know where I'd get my next meal. And I'm at the king's table. And it says he feasted. He ate continually at the king's table. And I'm saying from the time we wake up in the morning, and I don't always do it, and, and I'm sure you don't either, but we should from the time we wake up until the time we go to bed, we should have in our minds an awareness of the presence of Jesus Christ with us. Is Jesus Christ present in your life right now? Would you like for him to become a permanent resident in your life? He will if you ask him. Won't you pray with me now? Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Please make me the person you want me to be. In your name I pray. 
Amen. For those of you who have prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please let us know by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. Again, that's 1-800-337-0157. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find it, along with many others, on our website, peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. We invite you to keep up with us on social media. You can like Peace by Believing Ministries on Facebook and follow at PBB underscore on Twitter. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.